and welcome to another episode of Not Another DIY Music Podcast with me, Naz. And me, Ella. It's been a while since our last episode where we discussed our latest EP, Dehumanize. If you haven't listened to it yet, go and check it out after listening to this episode. Yes, please go and check it out and thank you so much if you've already listened to it. So we've been wanting to interview guests on this podcast for a while now to chat about their perspectives and experiences as musicians on the DIY scene. And we're finally, finally sharing our first interview. In this episode, we're sharing an interview we did with Adam and Julia from the Sheridans back in August, all about their journey as DIY artists and their signing with independent label Reckless Yes at the end of 2020. Listening back to it is a really, really lovely interview and we also chat about their now release debut album Pieces of General at the end of this episode with Adam and Julia talking about the remastered version of I Don't Want to Be Dismembered, which they released as a single and also features on the album. We hope you enjoy this interview and learn something new that helps you with your journey as a DIY artist. And please do go and check out the Sheridans. Today we have the Sheridans with us. The Sheridans is Adam, he, him, and Julia, she, her, with Adams on vocals, guitar, and programming, and Julia on viola, synth, drum machine, and vocals. Um, the duo who describe themselves as incongru pop are all about radical softness as a response to everyday racism and misogyny. We discovered them at Decolonize Fest in 2019 and have been following their music ever since. Starting off as a DIY band, they recently signed with UK indie label Reckless Yes, and we're very excited to have them on today and talk about all things DIY and what it's like working with a label, um, as well as the latest single they released, a remastered version of I Don't Want to Be Dismembered. So welcome, Julia and Adam. Thanks so much for having us. <laughs> we're honestly thrilled to be here. Uh, and it's just really nice to see you both, even virtually, you know. You too. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's really yeah, it's really strange. How how have you both been? Have you been going to any gigs? What have you been doing? What have you been working on? Gosh, um, yeah. Thank you for having us. And I wanted to say it's such a delight to be the very first guest on your brilliant new podcast. So the honor is ours, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Um, gosh, I find that I find it really difficult to sum up. The past year, I, I think I can probably say it's been really tough for both of us in different ways. Um, I'm somebody who uh, feels a lot in the world and I've um, personally gone through stuff, but then also just processing everything has felt really hard and um, I've just needed a lot of time to um, process that and be okay with not being okay. So actually um, this whole time we haven't we've been also really careful um covid wise and so we haven't um been able to record rehearse play music anything all we've been doing is like talk on the phone or like occasionally sit in the park um so actually when we'll get into this the whole um signing with reckless yes has been such a blessing um to still be a band <laughs> in this very strange time yeah definitely that yeah that must be so yeah this during this time has been really challenging for a lot of musicians um coming together writing not fe also the idea of um 
you know, seeing other musicians being really productive during this time as well, and then feeling like you need to do the same thing. Um, and then just not feeling like you have the mental, emotional capacity to do that. So yeah, that's challenging. But I'm glad that the two of you um, are still working on things. And hopefully, so Julia, you're currently in Switzerland. So that makes things a little tricky as well with gigging and releasing music. And everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's great to know that even with that distance and everything that's happened, you're still putting stuff out there. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. So for, for people who haven't heard you um, or your music before, Perhaps you could just tell us about how you formed, um, a bit about your sound, who you're, who you're influenced by. Uh, yeah, well, as a band, we've been around for approximately 104 years. Um, <laughs> Correct. Like a, lo- a long time. Um, but, but in all seriousness, I guess, um, Julia and I met at uni, um, the thing already kind of existed at that point, and there's there's material from before then that's you know part of the catalog um but yeah we met in uh bongo's world music um society <laughs> okay which was a Legendary. funny funny weird thing but um we played together on an arrangement of the italian folk song bella ciao um the partisan kind of anti-war anti-fascist song and um after that, it felt like there was a good vibe. Um, and then yeah. uh, Julia kind of had me run through some songs and then was like, I approve, I joined this band. And then that, that's, <laughs> that's been it. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about sound and stuff? Uh, sure. Actually, I think that story in some ways probably does kind of lead into that because um, we have quite different musical backgrounds, I would say. Um, so you mentioned that. I, I'm from Switzerland. I grew up here, moved to London when I was 18. And um, in our bio, you also mentioned that we kind of over-romanticise small towns. The irony being that I am from a small town in, you know, Switzerland. <laughs> Pretty conservative overall. So um, it's not... I, romantic is maybe not the right way to describe that experience but anyway um so I was reasonably secluded from um popular music for a really long time partly because just everything like everything all the trends are like two years behind over here so um I wasn't really up to scratch with what was happening in the 90s um and also partly due to the choice of my family so we I was exposed to a lot of live music a lot of um Eastern European folk music specifically, Irish music, Scottish music, Swiss folk music, that kind of stuff. Nice. And that's probably also why I joined Bongos was <laughs> I don't know why you joined that. <laughs> um, I don't know either. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I think it was like a chance to play guitar and like play other instruments outside of the context of just doing like the Sheridan stuff, I guess. Um, but yeah, we've got very different kind of musical backgrounds, as Julia said. Um, you know, I write from a place, I think, of like, you know, our bio says it's like the New York 1970s bands, like the Talking Heads and Television, the Ramones. You know, the Ramones for me was the huge thing that gave me the confidence to like play guitar and write music because, it, you know, I learned all their songs 
when I was really young and I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. Um, so that's part of it. And then there's kind of like a, a, a huge part, I think, of, I think the values that hopefully we've moved forward from, but I think as a kind of original influence is like the Riot Girl stuff from the 90s. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I guess the sound is like a combination of those kind of disparate influences. Um, and I think like a lot of those kind of like folkier traditions that Julia mentioned come through like in the, you know, kind of in the arrangements a lot. Um, mm. You know, a lot of the songs you can break down to like, chord structures and vocals and that's how they kind of like come into the world and then we dress them up and you know send them on their way and that's kind of how it works I guess yeah no that's I can hear the the folk the folky kind of influence as well as the sort of more like punk rock influence in your music which is what really drew me to you at first I guess I like because I'm we we kind of combine like Indian folk and and I think it's 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 a nice combination I will I will say if I can I I also really like um like the grunge stuff that comes through in your work as like a oh, thank Yeah, you. I think it's really cool. Oh, yeah. um, and not I think not something you hear as much necessarily. At least not in a lot of the kind of like, you know, bands that were all around. Um Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, it's it's something I register and go like, oh that's cool. That's like a different it's a different thing. Oh, cool. Thank you. No, yeah, it's uh yeah, it's been a process um, yeah. figuring things out because, yeah, Ella and I, similar to you, Ella and I have different types of music that we're both interested in as well. So it's it's interesting to see how that sort of merges together in this new sound that you create together. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, you both have done that in a really cool way as well. Thank yeah. you. Um, so, yeah. Um, so getting on to Reckless Yes and signing with them. Um, so... Reckless Yes is a independent label, so for people who might be listening who don't know, um, and they've signed quite a few, um, I guess, London-based bands recently, including Hannah Rose Kessler, Bitch Hunt, and Bug Eye. Um, I guess our question is, how did this come about, and how have you found working with a label versus being completely DIY? And then also, what does DIY mean to you? Because I think it means something different to different people. And this podcast is called Not Another DIY Music Podcast. And we really want to talk to people who are completely DIY, which I think we would class ourselves as because we're self-managed. Pretty much everything you see is done and is done by us, um, apart from a few bits here and there. Um, and we've never worked with a label before. So it's really interesting to speak to you both who've sort of seen both sides. So, yeah. Yeah, I can start us off. So um, we're still in our early stages into this journey as well. Um, and it's been fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So we've been DIY, I guess, for the, forever, for the time we've played together. Um, I've done everything ourselves, occasionally collaborated with people for recording purposes, that kind of thing, or mastering little bits here and there. And I think we just got to a place where we kind of had done that. Um, and we were curious to see, to partly bring our music to a broader audience, perhaps, and to also find a setup where it, it was taking a lot of time away, I guess, from yeah. the creative side to think about promo. <laughs> I think we had a lot of arguments. Yeah, can relate. <laughs> <laughs> can relate to that. <laughs> 
yeah yeah <laughs> definitely do you want to add anything yeah um yeah I, I i definitely i think that's the case you know we'd been diy from the start which is you know like 10 plus years um and you know we kept refining that process and got to a point where we felt we were we were good at it and we knew what we were doing and we were you know like proud that we're proud of the stuff we've done um but it also felt like we'd gotten to a point where it's not like we'd done everything you could do as a DIY band. You know, in that case, I would like, I would point to like the Tuts as a band that did everything you could do yeah. as an unsigned band, you know, and absolutely should have gotten, I think, more respect. But like, you know, we felt like we were like, okay, well, it's just this and we just, we'll just keep making the work because we have a lot of songs, we've got a lot of material and we'll keep doing it. And, you know, I, I think we both, we do it because we're sort of called to in this strange way. And it's a really kind of core component of how Julia and I just connect as people. Um, but yeah, we got to that point where we'd started, as Julia said, working with people on, you know, different things. We'd ask someone to do the artwork and stuff like that. And gradually kind of have developed a really kind of weird little family of collaborators that we like really love and really trust. Um, and I think we sort of went, okay, well, what if we can kind of find that kind of relationship with a label? Um, yeah. You know, so we pitched a handful of labels, you know, it was a lot of like homework on like, you know, who are they, what bands do they have on their roster? But like, more importantly, what are their values? Uh, which can be hard to deduce from just an internet presence, yeah. um, you know, but um, one of the labels we reached out to was Reckless Yes, um, which is Sarah Lay and Pete Darrington. And um, we had a call with them. And in fact, actually, we would have had a real life meeting, but it was just on the cusp of like the first lockdown. And oh, gosh. Okay. we, you know, they were like, okay, we're not going to do it because they don't live in London. They were going to come down and like have a meeting. And we were all very excited, but it was not the right call. And, you know, they canceled it and we were like, okay, yeah, 100%. Um, and we did a Zoom call, which is probably the first time I had to go on Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, and it was great. You know, what, I think the thing that was wildest for me anyway was they showed up knowing who we were and like showing us a, like, a lot of appreciation for the work we'd done over a long time. We're used to maybe being treated like we've just appeared. Oh, hi. You know, like mm -hmm. rather than having maybe quite a lot of work that we've put out. Um, but Sarah and Pete showed us like a lot of respect. Um, and the main thing is we felt like we kind of clicked on a values level as far as like yeah. what we're increasingly trying to do in our music and then kind of being like, yeah, we'll, we stand behind you, um, you know, which has been the case. And yeah, that's been great so far. Yeah, I think values is, is really important in the, yeah, in the label. Like we've, we've also been thinking about, yeah, um, you know, labels or working with a wider team. Because I do think you get to that point where, you enjoy doing all the marketing and everything um, and you kind of like having the control, but at the same time, it just leaves you so little time to actually cr create music, which is, you know, central to what you're doing. So yeah, totally um, get that. Um, so you've recently released two remastered versions of singles that you previously released, um, Awesome Summers and Kate in 2013. Um, and I don't want to be dismembered originally in 2020. So what, what made you choose to remaster these songs rather than to decide to release new material? I guess that's kind of now been answered because 
the pandemic's made it very difficult to, I guess, collaborate and write new music. Um, and is there an album or an EP on the horizon? Yes, I can perhaps add just a little bit more context to the compilation, which at first we thought was a hideous idea, <laughs> like as a DIY band to do a sort of best of. <laughs> the greatest hits of a band that's never had any hits. Um, but we kind of warmed to it because it really came about through the opportunity of signing with a label who, so Reckless Yes, have a membership um, structure. So um, this is partly sort of their financial model and they are not-for-profit labels. So they um, have a membership who pay into kind of receiving new music through the label regularly. And um, this was therefore an opportunity for us to kind of introduce ourselves to a completely new audience who'd never heard us before. Um, and through that, we figured actually doing something like a compilation that would however still work as an album in and of itself would be a really great way to do that and the remastering was partly necessary to make it work as an album because the songs are literally from some of them <laughs> recorded like 15 years ago <laughs> some of them two years ago so that was a real challenge that our wonderful sound engineer technician took on Livia Birocci um, and we really actually just it was it's been such a joyful process because Obviously, we knew these songs, they've been out, we're sitting on a lot of new material as well that we could have recorded, not in the pandemic, but um, actually kind of reworking these songs and hearing through the remastering, like hearing bits on the tracks that we didn't even know were there or previously like completely buried in the mix and just giving them this level of treatment has been absolutely amazing and we've really, yeah, we've really enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, totally. Um, I, I don't think we ever... We didn't assume we'd ever get to give these tracks, these songs, this kind of treatment, um, mm -hmm. you know, and have them remastered and brought to a kind of broader audience, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, the, the compilation is called Pieces of General, and it's out in September um, from Reckless Yes. Um, and um, in, a, in a weird way, it's like the album we've been trying not trying to make it's the album we were kind of always going to make um like if you take that whole period up to now um it's like you know we've plucked all the things in a certain way and tried to represent different aspects of the sound you know whether it's acoustic tracks or, or drum machine tracks or live tracks um and then we've really like sequenced it to work as a as a complete record so the idea is that it's really an album for people who haven't heard us um, it's, it's got a couple of unreleased tracks on it as well. So there is new material in there. And as Julia said, we're sitting on a lot of stuff. Some of it's recorded and ready and some of it's not recorded. We're sitting on a bunch of things, but this was kind of like the perfect, hopefully the perfect way to introduce us to people who haven't heard us, but also the perfect pandemic project because yeah. we've just been doing like project management and being like, okay, Nestan, <laughs> would you be able to do the artwork on this? And, you know, and then like, Livio, can you remaster this? And, you know, we're lucky to have those collaborators um, at, who have done incredible work on this. Um, and I would say part of the journey as far as like beginning to work more with collaborators and, and then the label. One of the things I've learned as, and, I, you know, maybe speaks to what Ella said about the kind of control that you've got 
um, when you're doing everything yourself. One of the things I've had to learn personally is like how to let go of that and and recognize that if you bring someone in that you trust and you connect with, mm. they're going to bring something to the table that you could never have done. And that has been the case with this record. And and really every time we've collaborated with, you know, Livio, Nestan or, you know, anyone else. Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a really good thing to do, actually. Um, because I think nowadays artists they release a lot of singles and they might release an EP then they might release a few more singles so you end up with this kind of jumbled up catalog on Spotify because you know fewer people are releasing albums now so actually it's, it's nice to then piece together all of these tracks into a kind of compilation like a best of um, and that gives yeah new fans like all your best material to hear in one place so I think it's um, a really good good move um, yeah no it's that's a uh... Yeah, that's really, really exciting. We can't wait to hear it as well. Um, you mentioned a couple of times in, in terms of working with Reckless Yes and trying to reach a broader audience. Just this is not a pre-planned question, but I was actually just wondering, you know, what does that look like for you? And also, where do you want to take your music next once you release this album? That's a great question. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. Um, no, it's totally fine. No, it's a great question. Um, shall I start? Yeah, go ahead. So, what has been really, really interesting to kind of observe um, is that during the time we were in DIY band, we had lots and lots of experiences, and I think you can definitely relate to this of not being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Partly because we are a so-called duo, <laughs> partly because we're a black man and a white woman doing this this work in the DIY scene. Um, so we would always have to, you know, open, or we would kind of not be given the treatment at venues in terms of like our sound setup that we deserved. That kind of thing was very familiar, and. <laughs> So this compilation is consistent of material that's already out there, apart from two tracks. So it's not like we've changed, but we are perceived in a completely different way. And we're getting kind of reviews from places that um, obviously we didn't know before, and this is partly a function of the amazing work that Sarah and Pete are doing. Um, And I think what we've just registered is a difference of being vouched for by two people who have a standing in the scene also by two older white people who kind of um have a label and are established and have their networks and are taken their opinions are taken with a different level of seriousness than us just speaking for ourselves and that has been interesting also yeah you can i'll I'll let you add some stuff about the current release yeah totally um you know and i like we're grateful that sarah and peter like kind of choosing to use their standing in their voice to back us up in that way. Um, it's definitely really interesting. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Awesome Summers and Kate originally came out in 2013. It's a long time ago. And, um, you know, one of the things we've heard consistently is, um, I should get a bass player, I should get a drummer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's too lo-fi, you're on first, you know, all that stuff, got it. Um, so to have like Awesome Summers and Kate come out again, remastered and you know it sounds so much better and the work Livio has done is truly amazing you know like Julia said you can hear stuff in the mix you couldn't before 
but it's the same song and it's the same recording, you know, um, it's just polished. Uh, and for that to now like get traction um, and be received a different way is like oddly validating, but also like maybe it's something we knew about. Um, you know, as Julia said, we've had to kind of like learn those lessons and, and like see, you know, you, it's like everyone says about everything. You see how the structural stuff plays out yeah. in your actual life, in your, like in small things and values are underpinning all decisions and blah, blah, blah. And I don't mean that dismissively. I like how I understand the world, but like, yeah, it's been really interesting seeing that, mm. you know, shift in how we're perceived. Um, Dismembered is a really interesting case. Um, and I think maybe speaks to the second part of the question, like, what are we, you know, hoping to do now? I would say that from, I think Dismembered was written in 2016. And if you remember 2016, the bunch of things that might have led to a song like that. Um, Even even though those things were all already true. But, you know, I wrote it then and we put it together then and we'd been playing it and it took a while to record it. But, you know, part of that is that I... There's times where like subtlety is the right thing and like metaphor and whatever. Um, but I think we're interested in being more direct about our values. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, in fact, there's no wrong way that, not, no bad way that looks actually. I don't think it has to be anything in particular. Um, but like dismembered is as direct as I can be, you know, mm, like yeah. at least it was at that point. And maybe we can be more direct now, but um you know, we used to say, you know, lush DIY in Congru pop um, as like a descriptor for what we do. And one of the things we started saying is critical pop for radical purposes. Okay, and, yes. Uh, which Julia came up with and I think is really good. And um, it's, I guess we, we're hoping we can be a band that Awesome Summers and Kate coexists with I Don't Want to Be Dismembered. And one of them is playful and it's poppy and it's summery and all those things. Um, because like nothing's better than a catchy chorus, but like <laughs> there are also times where it's like, here's what we feel right now. Here are our values and uh, we're not embarrassed about it. And, you know, hopefully that's a thing that we can like maybe reach more people with now that we're working with Retros. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I think we can relate to quite a lot of what you said in terms of not being taken seriously as a duo. Firstly, uh, God, it's it's so annoying, like being told that you need a full band to headline anything and just, yeah, people not taking you seriously. Um, But also, yeah, actually, you know, yeah, singing about your values, as well as having those songs that maybe are a bit less serious and are a bit more fun and poppy and kind of we're sort of trying to write music at the moment and we're always kind of like oh well you know we want to have some serious songs but then we want to balance it out and it's always yeah finding that balance can be kind of tricky because yeah yeah. I think it's always it's it's it feels important to to sing about things that you care about that are these wider issues yeah I guess sometimes also you can think oh you know am I being too confrontational in what I'm writing about and singing about are is the audience going to feel attacked (laughs) when when you Mm. sing these songs um and hopefully yeah probably the wrong audience Mm. if uh if that is the case um but the other thing I just wanted to comment on is um what you said in terms of having um you know a label 
sort of advocate for you and then people now paying more attention to the work that you have already been doing and putting out there um I can imagine that yeah that's both frustrating but also great to know that what you were doing was actually great the whole time and now it's getting the attention it deserves (laughs) right um yeah it's uh because we've had similar conversations in terms of you know do we want to work with a label and help us in that way or do we want to work with I don't know PR marketing a manager booking there's so many different people and obviously there's various expenses that come with that um but yeah it's it's so interesting hearing how how that experience has been for you and just seeing everything play out because obviously you've been doing this for a long time and you can see the differences and I can just if if I was in your position I'd literally be like oh my god um so yeah <laughs> um yeah but yeah I would add to that actually and maybe this is interesting to other bands listening to this who are thinking of the same question um what helped us a lot was that we had done our own thing for quite some time and we knew exactly what we wanted because I can definitely see a scenario where you're quite a new band and you might sign with a label and their contract might be a bit dodgy or you know might not allow you to do the things or to express your values in the way that you want and so in our very first conversation with Reckless, yes, and they are really open about how they work and because their values align, it really, it was, it absolutely clicked. Um, you know, we were able to ask about, what you know, things like, can we still manage our social media? <laughs> it's absolutely yes. And we can, we control still quite a lot of sort of how we present ourselves in the world and have that sort of division of different um, tasks. Yeah. But it has definitely really helped to kind of know what's important to us, how do we want to do the thing that we do and really just find somebody who is passionate about the same thing and can help us achieve that rather than us changing who we are for, yeah, for something absolutely. else. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I um, often think about, I, I think the thing of like, yeah, we've we've done it for long enough that we've done all those parts ourselves, ourselves um, yeah. has been quite important you know even but even now like you know before we like signed the first contract like we sent it to a friend who you know works in legal because we don't know you know we don't know everything there's stuff we don't know about um but yeah Sarah and Pete have been really open and like you know direct and we've been able to have what you might assume would be an awkward conversation and it's been okay you know um but I remember I watched an interview with um Mitski about I don't know three four years ago and one of the things she said that really struck me was like she was at that point now where she's got a label and she's got booking and the whole thing but she said that because she'd been doing it a long time before she blew up and she was like we I never skipped any steps so I knew how to do every part of that thing and now I don't have to and that's amazing but if it came to it I know what's going on there and I can you know like step in or advise or whatever and you know yeah we've we've done it for long enough that we've like done those different parts and you know and yeah as Julia said we've still got like a lot of say in like what we project and how we Mm -hmm. the whole thing so um yeah it feels like a good balance right now yeah definitely um yeah I think it's really important to actually understand every aspect of what goes on in terms of yeah being a musician releasing music performing etc so yeah knowing every step super important so anyone listening Mm -hmm make sure you know your shit. Yes. 
um, unfortunately you are going to have to put time into social media where... yeah oh, <laughs> if I did social media yeah yeah but that's a whole other podcast episode um <laughs> but yeah so for anyone who wants to follow your works we know that you have the compilation coming out soon um where can people go to support your music? How can they find you? We'll um, share all the links and stuff as well. So on all the social media, we are at TH Sheridans. Um, and uh, the best place to support us, I guess, is Bandcamp, which is thsheridans at .bandcamp.com. Um, but we are also on all the, all the streaming platforms of your choice, you know. next section adam and julia talk about their single i don't want to be dismembered i think the bare bones of it came together in 2016 <clears throat> in fact it pretty much you know we had it down in 2016 and it took a while to record but um uh that was a year with lots of very horrifying political upheaval um and it felt important for us as we mentioned before to start being more direct in speaking about our values and our lived experience. And um, yeah, I, Dismembered is simultaneously big and small, I guess. So I wrote it and we arranged it together, um, you know, for the, the arrangement on the recording um, is the two of us and um, Joe Hyam, who is our drummer when we have a drummer. And um, I, I probably wrote it amidst a bunch of other songs at that time. But it was also one of the first songs where I looked at the lyrics and I went, OK, I feel like this says what I want it to say but I'm going to send this to a really close friend of mine to like give it a sensitivity read um, because it felt like in the kind of final refrain where we, I guess, try and talk about essentially solidarity with people who have different marginalizations than, than we do. And we didn't want to if mess that up. Our kind of other trans siblings, sisters and brothers queer siblings sisters and brothers disabled siblings sisters and brothers i reached out to a good friend of mine rosie who proofread the lyrics and, and julia does that for every song anyway i remember from the time you were writing it it's obviously it's very big in terms of connecting to global and national political events at that time and still unfortunately sadly ongoing um and it connects to anyone's experience of any kind of marginalization can um, relate to that, the feeling of being dismembered, right? Um, at the same time, I think it was one of your earliest, like really explicitly political songs. And we were grappling with some stuff in our own music scene around 
particularly white feminism around kind of certain identities being prioritized over others and felt it was really important for us as a band as well. I mean, that wasn't the main driver, but it kind of had that that function to actually say, to, to start talking about this stuff, um, as is the case in so many other kind of political spaces or movements. And it was, I think for me, in some ways, it's an invitation to open up and to bring more complexity and more experiences and more um, perspectives into them. Everything, you know, we do, if, if, if I write it alone, it, you know, obviously goes first to Julia and she, you know, responds and, you know, and then we arrange it together and whatever. But like, very commonly, uh, Julia will reflect back to me, this is about X, Y, and Z, and I'll go, oh shit, yeah, it is, you know, like, and I, I maybe thought it was about something else, and it is about something else, but it's one of those things I've learned, like, I'm an arts critic in another life, I write about comic books, but one of the things I've learned is, like, you create a thing, and it's this thing, or whatever, but if someone else reads it another way, that's also valid, and that's also in there, and you cannot control what the thing is once you put it out, you know, um, you can have what it means to you, but if it means something to someone else, like, that's just as valid. Adam writes all the songs and then I hear them <laughs> through like a voice memo or something. And I'm like a million things run through my mind as to like how meaningful this is and how amazing. And obviously knowing being quite closely connected, I also might have ideas as to what it relates to or like what is what it sparks. And then we have this conversation where I'm like, so it's about this, isn't it? <laughs> and you just go like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, something Naz alluded to in the in the first part of like that feeling of are you being a bit confrontational? And this was one where we were like, yes, and that's fine. You know, uh, like maybe we can take up that much space. Maybe we can say those things, uh, you know, because they come from lived experience. Um, and I don't think we're wrong about them, you know. Uh, and I think like owning that and being like, yeah, it's not embarrassing. We're not just going to whisper it to other people who get it. Maybe we're just going to say it on the stage at the thing. And if you don't like it, okay. Our best days are yet to come when these fascist motherfuckers will hardly be remembered. I think one of the, one of the things I can say that is coherent about it is, as well as the choice to be more direct about our values and, and beliefs and so on, uh, it's also a a more honest vulnerability. I'm hiding less behind like sarcasm and wit and like metaphor and clever things that maybe would be my inclination some of the other, some of the time. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, it, I, I think it was a, it's partly about directness in a bunch of different ways. All you're hearing on the song is, and it was, we tracked it live, but it's drums, clean guitar and the viola with the, so I play with an octave pedal. Um, so I play an octave lower than the, than the viola. For those who might not be familiar, is already slightly lower than the violin. So it's a bit closer to cello. Um, so if I play on the lowest, which is a C string, and I add an octave pedal, and I just play dry and the octave below, it just takes me into that sort of cello territory, I guess. There's like we that's what's occupying the space that a bass would normally occupy, 
or in our case, a synthesizer, but in this case, it's a viola. That kind of drone thing is really important in this song because it is like a once the once you hit that first chorus, after that, there's this constant building that goes on all the way to the end of the song. I mean, it drops out for the kind of quiet vocal, but otherwise it's that um, kind of drone that Julia mentioned, which like, how can I put it across? If the Ramones is da 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 then the John Cale thing is like da 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 constantly, you know? So the, what you're hearing on, on Dismembered is um, the guitar that's doing that from the very start of the song. And then the viola comes in after that first chorus. Um, and it's what we refer to as like viola bass. So I learned to play viola in a classical way and, and I played some folk until Adam introduced me to John Cale's playing of the viola. And he does this, Cale does this very specific thing called the drone. <laughs> oh, do we call it the drone? Does he go? I don't even know. Um, and it's a way of playing that is very sort of thick and bassy um, and gives it this kind of, I suppose, slightly ominous feeling in this, in this instance for this song. Um, and the kind of underlying um, bass texture in a way. And that's um, how we embedded that after, because obviously the lyrics and the chords come first, and then we added the other stuff. It's not like a radical departure from probably how it was on the acoustic demo. Um, but one of the things that we've figured out in arranging it together with Joe was how do you end this song? Um, it didn't really have an ending, which is pretty rare, I think, for us. But we didn't really know. We had a couple of different versions. Um, and it actually was down to when we recorded it with Marcelo, who recorded and produced it, Marcelo Torero, who's in Cecilia. Um, and uh, we tried out the different endings. You know, the last kind of minute of the song, we tried a couple of different ways. Um, you know, and I think Marcelo kind of helped us settle on the, the right one. Thing. <laughs> in my family so I'm from quite a musical family and we sometimes play together and um, I think this is something my dad invented where at the end of like some songs if it's appropriate you do what he calls a tree and that's just like everyone sort of like <laughs> improvises and um, creates a sort of tree of sound to end on and um, in a way this song I mean, yeah, the last lyric is, I'm trying not to swear, <laughs> you can look it up. <laughs> yeah, I have to cut it out. But how do you end after something like that? Um, talking about fascism, essentially. Um, so I guess you wouldn't repeat the chorus. <laughs> I'll go back to the first verse. So I guess what we did is in this outro bit to really try to express the emotion or or multiple emotions that might be um, packed into this song. And so the sound is actually, um, it's got still got um, guitar and drums going and the viola does, um, it's still playing with that lower octave. And I think I did a phaser and used delay and then like played around with this uh, time signature to kind of make it speed up 
So it sounds like it sounds more like a synthesizer, but it's actually all just sort of viola sounds on loop on a loop, and then I, I get to fiddle with the pedal board, which is really fun to do live, even though it's a really simple thing. <laughs> um, but it looks like a lot is going on. So yeah. I think one of the things about the kind of ending outro is, as Julia said, where do you go from those last lyrics? Um, and it felt like we were trying to, what we tried to do was to all kind of play and project a set of emotions that I think were nonverbal, that there was no way of communicating other than through sound. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, it had like a really specific energy when we played it, you know. Uh, I think we probably did a couple of takes and we knew pretty quickly which one was the one. You know, same with the vocals, to be honest. It was maybe two passes and it was like, yeah, that's the one. Um, so it was just that kind of like learning to trust more and more the intuition and just being like, yep, yeah, the feeling's there, that's the one. Um, but I remember actually, in to, to go back to like arranging it, um, I think maybe the, before the first time we played it live, um, you know, I sort of like called a like band meeting with Julia and Joe before, you know, and I was, I was just kind of like, thanks for doing this with me, you know, because it, it felt so kind of like vulnerable um, and, you know, to have like Julia and Joe kind of backing it up and being like, yeah, we stand by this. Um, Joe's also white, so like to have, you know, to have that kind of co-side was very meaningful. Um, and I think a lot of those big and small emotions are in that outro. The fact that it was tracked live, I think really was just the right thing for this song because it just transpired between us as we were playing and Marcelo was a big part in that as well and facilitating us just being able to focus on the music and he was taking care of all of the tech stuff. Yeah and I, I would say especially actually I remember really vividly how comfortable we felt because Marcelo did so much to kind of like set the tone and like make it a space where we felt like we could play that song the right way and not be embarrassed or not be like, you know, whatever, because it's vulnerable and it's all those things, um, you know. Um, so that was really a huge part of that experience and why it was so kind of overwhelmingly positive, I think, for us. Um, and to speak to the remastering, um, you know, I think with as with every track on, on the compilation that is forthcoming, um, Livio's, uh, Livio, who did the remastering, has kind of widened the space in the sound. So everything breathes a bit more. Um, the stereo spread is better than it was. Um, it's like there's more room to kind of climb inside and like sit inside of the sound, um, which is like what we've always tried to do, but been very limited by like our own skills when it comes to mastering or production or whatever. Um, so it's really cool to have that kind of be there and, and feel like that for the remastered version. I think once we got it down, we started using it as the opener to our set, which is a pretty confrontational opener to the set. If we play live again, hopefully we will. I think I, I want to try it out as a closing track and maybe open with something more gentle. Playing Dismembered live is, is very telling because you can see the response for, for people really quickly, I think, and like really visibly. 
my feeling with it as my feeling is with really any piece of art ever is if it connects to one person then it was worth it you know and i like it doesn't matter if it like upsets or alienates five other people i don't care but if it like means something to one person who then has an experience of i don't know feeling understood or whatever i'm not going to presume our music does that for someone if someone connects with it then it's worth any amount of awkwardness